0: guys, we're in lesson 41. We actually have 48 total lessons in Acts. And so we're going to really spend the next today and the next seven weeks, and then we're going to finish up Acts. Okay, here's where we're at. We're at the point now where Paul comes to Jerusalem. And up to this point, when he was finishing his third, on the last part of his third missionary journey... He was hearing in every city that he went, the Holy Spirit was telling the brethren to tell him that something's going to happen in Jerusalem. And some of them have even said he's going to be arrested and given to the Gentiles. And so Paul has decided this is what God wants him to do. So he's going to go. So here we are. We're going to look at what happens. And as you look at these stories in these next few chapters you're actually going to see that God was in this. God had a reason for this to happen, okay? God had a reason for this to happen. So let's look today. We're going to talk about him being arrested. So notice with me, we're in chapter 21. Notice with me verse 17, and we're going to read through verse 25 first of all. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And when he greeted them, he told them in details those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother... How many myriads of Jews there are who believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought to not circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them, and be purified with them, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe we have written and decided that they should not that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality okay so let's talk about that first thing he's going to do when he goes to jerusalem he greets the brethren there and he meets with james so paul and his companions <clears throat> paul and his companions arrived in Jerusalem, and were greeted by the believers. So he shows up. First thing he's going to do is connect with the church that's there. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you, this is the church. This is the prominent church in all Christianity at this point. Why? Because this is where the church started. All right? This is where the church started. So he goes there. He's been there before. He knows who to meet with. All right? So Paul and his companions met with James and the elders of the church. So at this point, there are no apostles there, hardly. At this point, he meets with James. Who's James? James, the brother of Jesus. James, the author of the epistle that you have in your New Testament, James. It's not James, the brother of John, because we've already studied in Acts that he's been killed. James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He was the head of the Jerusalem church. So Paul goes and meets with James and the elders, okay, meets with the elders of the church. They reported to James the things which God was doing among the Gentiles. So the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go meet with James, and they're going to tell him, James, this is what's going on. These are the churches that have been planted. This is how God has been working. These are the wonderful things that God is doing. Listen to how many Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Listen to how many Jews are coming to the Lord. And they're giving a a report. We have that same thing happen when we have missionaries come with us. They come and they give a report about what? What they're doing on the mission field. Okay? What they're doing on the mission field. Now, during this conversation, though, James points out a problem. James pointed out that there was a report that Paul told the Jews to abandon the law. There was a report that came to them and was circulating around the church in Jerusalem that Paul was telling the Jews, notice it's not the Gentiles, the Jews, to abandon the law. Now, why do you think that report happened? Why do you think that happened? Because Paul's going around telling the Gentiles if they believe in Jesus, they don't need to what? Follow the law. Okay, we already know that. In fact, the church at Jerusalem told him, that's, yep, that's correct, we wrote a letter affirming what you're teaching. How do you think it got twisted now that the people are saying that Paul's telling Jews not to follow the law? How do you think it got twisted? Okay, a Jewish person who wasn't a Christian, yep, possibly, that's true. Okay, maybe twisting what Paul was saying. Anybody else? There were some who were, quote, Christians who were coming from Jerusalem. They wanted the Gentiles to what? Follow the law. They wanted the Gentiles to become Jewish in order to, so maybe there was some irritation there. Maybe simple things got twisted. Maybe somebody heard Paul say that you don't need to follow the law and just assumed he was telling that to the Jews. Okay, but the fact of the matter is, this is a pretty serious thing. He's telling the Jews to abandon the law. Let me just stop for a moment, folks. Do you think this report is true? Do you think the report is true? I know, I see some definite no's. How many of you are not sure? Okay? You're not sure? Okay. Let me go ahead and tell you right now, I don't believe the report is true. Okay? And neither does James. You can see from the text, neither does James. Why? Because here's what Paul said. To the Jew, I became a what? To the Gentile, I became what? A Gentile. See, Paul distinguished the message of what was required to the Jew versus what was required to the Jew to the Gentile. Do you understand what I'm saying? He became all things to all men so that all men might know who? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So his, he would not tell Jews to abandon the law. He wouldn't tell them that. But that's the accusation. Okay, That's the accusation. In fact, we're going to see as we get through the chapters, Paul's going to Flat out, when it comes to this accusation that he's told people to abandon the law, he's going to flat out say, no, I've never done that. I've never told Jews to abandon the law. What he's done is he's told Gentiles that they don't need to keep it. Okay? They don't need to keep it. And when you look at what the Jerusalem church is telling Listen, when you look at what the Jerusalem church is telling the Gentiles they are to do, for instance, they're not to worship idols, they're not to eat things with blood Not and animals that are strangled, that's not in the law, although it's written in the law. That's actually, because I've, I've, I've been reading through Genesis in my personal time with the Lord, that actually came at the Noetic Covenant when God told them that they could now eat animals. But he told them when they ate animals, there was not to be any what? Blood in the meat. So it goes all the way back. That's for everybody, okay? That's from God for everybody. Now, let's go on. James points out that the church will want to meet when they hear that Paul has come. The the church in Jerusalem, the people of the church in Jerusalem will want to meet because they want to get to the bottom of this issue. They want to discuss this issue or argue it out. James says they'll want to meet. So James told Paul to follow their instructions concerning four men who have made a vow. Now you might be saying, what's this vow? Well, this vow is a Nazarite vow. How many of you have ever heard of a Nazarite vow? Okay, what is a Nazarite vow? Anybody can tell me? Yeah, and what did you say? Yeah, three things. Number one, they were not to put a razor to their head. Number two, they were not to eat or drink anything from the vine. And number three, they were not allowed to come in contact with a dead body. Okay, Now, does anybody know why people took a Nazarite vow? Who is the most famous person that you know of from the Bible who took a Nazarite vow? He actually didn't take it. His parents took it, was told to take it from his birth. Now, some of you might think that when you talk about a Nazarite, that's forever. Actually, it's not. Let me just go ahead and tell you. Here are the reasons for a Nazarite vow. The reasons could include by a parent before the birth of a child. They might take it because they want God to do something, maybe to have a male child. Uh, by someone who is in a, some sort of distress or trouble. By a woman who is suspected by her husband of unfaithfulness in the marriage, so she'll take the Nazarite vow to prove that she's been faithful. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, the period of time could anywhere could be anywhere from thirty days to a lifetime for holding the vow. And again, they would abstain from wine and such byproducts of the vine, prohibited from using a razor, and to avoid contact with a dead body. Now, what I want you to understand is is that uh, Paul, several times through the book of Acts, has taken this vow for whatever reason, okay, has taken this vow. So it's possible that he himself has taken this vow. And so what they do is they say, James says to him, look, we've got four guys who have taken this vow. We want you to follow our instructions concerning them, okay? We want you to follow our instructions concerning them. So here's what they wanted to see. They, they're saying Paul should, should pay their expenses and be purified with them. What does that mean, purified? Well, they would have expenses when they come to the temple. What do you mean? They would have expenses concerning... They had certain sacrifices that had to be made. They had to go through ritual washings. When they talk about purification, what they did is they kind of had like what we would call a baptismal pool... And you had to kind of go down into the pool and and be immersed or baptized. We call it baptism. They would be immersed in the water to, quote, purify themselves. So there are expenses that are involved with this. They also had to have their hair cut because they've let their hair grow out. At the end of their vow, they get their hair cut. Barbers always want to be what? Paid, right? So they would pay that there would be expenses involved so that's what's going on here they should pay for the expenses and he should be purified with them by carrying out these actions with the men paul would show that he abides by the law paul would show that he abides by the law let me just stop for a moment do you think paul abided by the law Bruce says yes. How many of you would agree with Bruce? Okay, yes. How many of you say, I'm not sure? I don't care. Okay, it's yes. Okay, why? Because we've seen through the book of Acts, Paul wants to make certain feast days in Jerusalem. Certain There were always feasts that were prescribed by the Old Testament. Paul is wanting to be at certain feasts, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, and so forth. He, he tries to make the feast like any good Jew would do. Now, notice something. He never tells, in fact, if you go to his epistles, he never tells the Gentiles to abide by those feasts, does he? In fact, in one letter, he just flat out says, you don't need to observe the new moons. What do you mean the new moons? The Jews would celebrate the new moon. Okay? Okay. He says not to abide by those feasts. Don't rule your life by that because they're Gentiles. Jews ruled their lives by that. Okay, it was all part of the covenant. So by carrying out these actions, Paul would show that he abided by uh, the law. So then notice now verse 25, James reaffirmed the the church's decision to not burden the Gentile believers with the law. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. We've been, you've probably heard me talk a little bit about Nazarite vows, okay? Talk about why they did that. Here's here's what I want you to understand, okay? You're not bound by that. So hopefully next week I won't start seeing you not your hair starting to grow out long. We won't notice it for the first couple of weeks, but maybe after a month, you know, if you're like all of a sudden have it down to your shoulder, you know, and uh, we notice that you're not drinking grape juice anymore, and uh, you're staying away from the funeral home, you know. You're, you're we we want we will. Say, why are you taking a Nazarite vow? You don't need to take a Nazarite vow because you folks are what Gentiles. You're not bound by that, okay? Yes, Lori. Fasting is completely different, okay? Jesus talked about fasting about that we should. If you look, read through the through the Gospels, he talked about those things happened by prayer and fasting. Fasting is abstaining from food or something for a period of time. Okay, uh, that's completely different than a Nazarite vow. All right, a Nazarite vow was a specific vow, and they had specific rituals that went along with the Nazarite vow. Okay, and it was very prominent among Jews. In fact, I believe today, I think if you went to the Holy Land, if you went to Israel, you would find some Jews who are still performing that vow to this day alright yeah Mike Nazarites. Um, modern Nazarites as far as you mean a denomination or, they're Nazarenes they're not the same. no no I, I had a in fact my mentor was a Naz, Nazarene yeah. he drank grape juice and he had short hair so it's the, the, Nazarenes is a denomination we'll talk about that <laughs> Uh, sometimes they'll call themselves that, but they're not talking about taking the Nazarite vow. No. It's just a title thing. So, like, how many of you have ever been down south? Like, I'm from South Carolina, and sometimes if you take the back roads, you'll see a church that says, The Church of the Pentecostal Holiness, Speaking in Tongue, Fire, Baptized. I mean, these are the names of the churches. you know what I'm saying? Just going all out, Baptist Church. All that other stuff was telling what kind of Baptist they were. So... I mean, you, you will see those, especially if you take the road to Myrtle Beach, okay? Those are denominations. We'll talk about that a little bit later, okay? But what we want you to see here is that you're not bound by this. James is affirming you're not bound by these things. But Paul's a Jew. And he has to be a Jew to the Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's go on. So notice now we're going to talk about his visit to the temple. Notice with me verse 26 through 30. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, folks, let me just talk to you for a moment. This, when we're, not talk, we're talking about doing these rituals, we're not just talking about an hour-long thing. This is seven days of stuff they've got to go through, seven days of getting washed, seven days of making an offering. Do you understand? So there's a ritual to this. You guys would think this is crazy, but, but this is what they would do, okay? Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trumpus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, And the people ran together and seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Okay, so what's going on here? First of all, after being purified, Paul and the men announced the fulfillment of the vows in the temple. There was a process of doing this. They're going through the process. Okay? Now, While in the temple, Jews from Asia, what we know as now is Turkey, okay? Jews from Asia recognized Paul and stirred the crowds to seize him. They accused Paul of teaching against the law and Israel. You can also add in there the temple, okay? They accused Paul of teaching against the law and Israel. All right, now stop for a moment. These are unbelieving Jews. And of course, remember now, when Paul has been in their synagogues and he's taught, remember, there was always a pattern. He would go to the synagogue first. He would teach. Some would respond. The Gentile, God-fearers there would respond. And then what would happen, because of the response, the other Jews would get jealous, and then Paul would say, I go now to the Gentiles. You know what I'm saying? Shake the dust off his feet with them. So if you're an unbeliever and you don't truly understand, and let me just stop for a moment. Does everybody recognize that unbelievers have no clue what you're talking about when you talk about Christianity? Does everybody recognize that? Okay. They would take something that you would see as straightforward as being nuts. Well they would take something that Paul was saying, I now go to the Gentiles, God's, you know, leave you know whatever he said to them, they would take it as as a speaking against Judaism. And he wasn't. He was speaking against them. Do you you understand? In their unbelief. Do you understand? Against them in their unbelief. Now, they accused Paul of teaching against the law in Israel. They also said that Paul brought a Gentile into the temple. Now, that, folks, would have been the greatest abomination. Okay. How many of you recognize that in the temple and even the tabernacle, there were different courts. There was the court of the Gentiles. That was the farthest that a Gentile could go in the temple grounds. The next court would be the court of women. So between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, there would be a gate, all right? And above that gate would be a warning that was written. And the warning would say that any Gentile who proceeded upon, beyond this point would be killed. It was against Jewish law for a Gentile to go beyond that gate. Now, beyond the gate, the uh, court of the women was the court of men, and women were not allowed to go beyond that court. Beyond the court of men was the court of the priests. You understand? So they had these different courts. Now, let me just stop for a moment, just so you know, it wasn't just Gentiles who weren't allowed to proceed it was also anybody who was lame, sick, or blind. They were not allowed to go beyond a certain point because they would be defiling the temple. So here's what they're doing: they're saying that Paul brought a Gentile into the temple. That would raise your. That would be pretty. Make you pretty upset, wouldn't you, if you were Jewish? And so that's a major accusation. And the text says the reason why they said that is because they saw Paul with an Ephesian in the city earlier that week. So they just assumed he brought him into the temple. Okay? Just assumed that they brought him into the temple. So the accusation stirred the city, resulting in Paul being dragged from the temple. So they dragged him out of the temple, shut the doors of the temple. Okay? Now, Let's look, we're going to finish up here with verse 31 to 39 because the Romans get involved now, okay? Look with me. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken to the barracks. And when they reached the stairs, he he was carried by soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of people followed after crying out away with him. Then as Paul was about to be led to the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in in the Hebrew language, saying, Okay, so let's look here. We're going to look at verses 31 through 39. I read verse 40." Uh, but we'll look at verse 40 next week. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, <clears throat> upon hearing that about the riot, so first of all, there's a riot happening. People are upset the temple has been defiled. The Roman commander responded to the disturbance. Let me just stop for a moment. Rome, I already told you before, did not take kindly to social disturbances. And when one took place, they would put it down Immediately. And I'm not just talking about they would just throw some tear gas. They would do whatever it took to make sure the people got in submission. They would kill whoever they needed to kill. And when he says, when the text says that he goes with soldiers and centurions, you're talking about he's going down there with a large number of people. Why? Because a centurion was a leader of a hundred men. So he's taking, it's in the, and they're using the plural here, centurions, he's taking several hundred men with him. And let's stop for a moment. You're going to need it when you got people who are up in arms, okay? So the crowd stopped trying to kill Paul when they saw the Roman soldiers. I think you would stop too if all of a sudden a big force showed up, right? Okay? Now, Paul was arrested and chained, as the commander asked for the reason of the uproar. So they chained Paul and the commander's trying to find out what in the world is going on here, okay? What in the world is going on? Why are we having this big uproar in the city, you know? Because, listen, to to the Gentiles, to the Romans, Judea was a troublesome province, It wasn't a peaceful province. It was a troublesome province. So he's trying to figure out what's going on here. And because the truth could not be discovered, he ordered Paul to be taken to the garrison. Now, I I think it's interesting. When you look at the text, the text says when he asked what was going on, one part of the group said this, and another part of the group said that. So what does that tell you about the people who are all up in arms? Do they really know what's going on? No, not really. They're just upset. Okay, They're just upset. So he couldn't ascertain the truth, so he ordered Paul to be taken to the garrison. Paul had to be carried by the soldiers. Because the crowd was so angry and so great, Paul couldn't even walk out by himself. He literally had to be carried by the soldiers out of the crowd because they were trying to kill him. Do you understand? They're trying to kill him. they had to be carried by the soldiers because the mob was trying to kill him. Before he was taken away, Paul asked to speak to the people. Isn't that radical? <laughs> I mean, if you got a crazy mob out to kill you, do you want to address the crowd? Especially if they're going to take you away. Do you want to address? But Paul did. Paul wanted to speak to the people. Now, because he spoke Greek, the commander asked if Paul was an Egyptian rebel. Obviously, around this time, there was some kind of an Egyptian. Remember, Greek was spoken throughout throughout the area, not Latin. Latin would be spoken by the Romans. But throughout what was known of the empire there, Greek was the common language. And so because Paul spoke in Greek, he wondered if he was this certain Egyptian rebel who had these number of assassins who had gone out into uh, into the wilderness who was causing them problems. So he asked him if he's this guy. Paul identified himself as being a Jew from Tarsus and he asked again to speak to the people. So he's like, no, I'm not the Egyptian. I'm, a, I'm from Tarsus, okay? I'm a Jew. So next week, guys, we're going to look at what he says to the people, Okay? We're going to look at what Paul says to the people, his defense before the Jews in general. Okay?